our core value is a belief in community without conditions. Like, we meet people where they are, and we provide community because we literally are all better than the worst thing we've ever done, right? Like, Hi, I'm Hannah. And I'm Monica. And you're listening to Cage Nation. Welcome back, Cage Nation listeners. Hello. Today we have Carly. Hi. Hey, Carly. Hey, how's it going? Thanks so much for being here today. Yeah, of course. I'm super excited. We're so excited to have you. Um, Carly works for Beyond These Walls, and we're really excited to talk with you about what that organization is doing and what your role is. And um, this episode today is talking about LGBTQ folks in the criminal justice system and, and thinking about what that looks like for people. So, Carly, can you give us just a little bit of a background of how you started this work, why you're connected to this work? Uh, yeah, of course. Um, well, I, like, do you want some background on Beyond These Walls? Sure. Okay, so Beyond These Walls started in, like, 2011 as a project of the National LGBTQ Task Force. Um, and it, like... Like, most of our work just, like, happened out of circumstance. Like, there were letters piling up from queer prisoners, like, all over the country um, that just were going unanswered because folks didn't have the time or capacity. And so our founder kind of took on those letters and were like, I have capacity and I have a shit ton of friends who will, like, write Mm -hmm. to people. Like, let's do it. Um, And then... I was hired in 2017 to do um, to do our pen pal work um, because that remains like the biggest part of the work that we do. Um, and I, it's so funny. I told myself, so you should get this out of the way. At the beginning, so people aren't shocked when they talk about it later, I am formerly incarcerated um, in a youth uh, from a youth correctional uh, facility. And it's so weird because I actually never thought that I would do prison work, like criminal justice work. Um, Why? I wanted to avoid it because yeah. I was like, I don't want people to know. Um that I am formerly incarcerated. I didn't want people, and it's always been like a passion of mine. However, I was like, if I just kind of hang out and do other stuff that no one will know that I have, that I'm like damaged or whatever. And there was a lot of internal stuff around that. Um, And so I just kind of avoided it and then I started working for a different nonprofit and someone that I was like really good friends with worked there and got, they were like, hey, we kind of want you to do this work. And I think you have a, like a lot of knowledge about it. And I was like, okay, cool. Cause it was a lot of like behind the scenes policy work. And I was like, I can sit behind a desk and like, talk about like and work on policy and like that's fine yeah um like you weren't risking as much yeah like I wasn't like the face of something I was just like no one knows who I am so it's cool like I can just like write some policy which I was fully unqualified to do in any sense <laughs> just other than like yeah <laughs> having a like a strong knowledge of like the way that criminal systems work um I which also makes you really qualified thank you yeah, yeah. um but I had, like, no experience doing policy work. But my friend, who was also my boss, was like, you'll figure it out. It's fine. And I was like, I guess that's how trans people work, is they just, like, figure shit out. And then they become really successful. Um, and so, and then I was approached by Tristan, who was the founder of Beyond These Walls, um, and also a good friend of mine, to... Um, you know, he had was like, hey, we're doing a thing. We got a grant to pay someone like five hours a week to do pen pal stuff. And I was like, cool. Like, that's great. Um, and so I was like, I'll, I'll go do that. And then fast forward two years and I'm like, 
I guess I'll be the face of an organization that I didn't want to <laughs> do and like talk to people publicly and like, like who run the world. Yeah, like, but it's so funny because like the other day I was at a a fundraiser for a nonprofit um, where I like outed myself as being formerly incarcerated in front of a state legislator. Wow. Like I was like, oh, okay, cool. Yeah. And to see where I've come like now where I'm like, no, I will talk about this because we're fucking real and people like people have lives, people have pasts. Like right. we're all better than like, you know, the worst thing we've ever done, which yeah. is our slogan, by the way, one of I our slogans. Um, and so, yeah, I just like, I lucked into it. Like most things in my professional life, I just like, Dumbled along until they were like, hey, you're good at this. Let's continue to do it. I went on a tangent, but, you know, whatever. We so deeply believe in what you do, I think, um, which is why we we wanted to make sure that we spoke with you about the amazing work that you're doing. Um, Part of what we ask in every episode is the question, when does a person's sentence end? What do you think about that or what comes to mind for you? Oh, God. Um, I don't know. I, I guess I've never thought about it. I think, like, for me, I can only speak for myself, but I feel like I'm still living that truth. Like, but in a completely different way, right? Like, I have turned this into something. And I think um, your past will always be a part of you. It's always, like, a teaching moment. Like, it's always something. But I think, um, I mean, I could go into, like, how sentencing works and, like, how that's bullshit. But um, I think it's something that, like, will always be part of you, but it doesn't define you. And that's what I always make sure that people know the difference of because I took my past and like turned it into something and now I always tell people that I'm living my dream of being a professional pissed off queer (laughs) and so like and I took that passion and so I was just at um McLaren Youth Correctional Facility which is the youth facility that I was that I spent like 10 years of my life at and talked about the work that I'm doing now and I'm like I took this experience and turned it into a career. Like, and it's also such a big fuck you to the systems that like hold you down when you come back to a place and you're like, I actually am doing really great. Thank you for asking. And I'm also going to tell you how horrible you are. And I'm also going to talk to these people who are currently incarcerated and tell them that they have hope in whatever that looks like for them, that there is hope. Um, because, like, and even folks, um, like, we just started uh, working with someone who's on death row, uh, a trans woman who's on death row at the Oregon State Penitentiary. And she's one of the most insightful human beings that I have ever talked to. And it's also um, really interesting uh, to hear about, like, folks who people will often just say like oh you're gonna spend the rest of your life in in prison like um because there are people in our network that will spend the rest of their lives in prison unfortunately um you know what's the point like I get asked all the time like what's the point of working with people um who are lifers Mm -hmm. I'm like and they're still human beings Mm -hmm. uh they're still people who are capable of feeling and are who can change? Who can change? Yep. Like who can change and be super productive? Um, there's a woman, there's a trans woman in our uh, trans leadership academy who is a lifer, and, but is like also just super amazing and great, and like has great like ideas, and also takes people under her wing when like new folks come in who are like want to transition or have started transition or or just queer people in general, she's like, she's like a mother. She's like, no, come here, baby. Like, I've got you. (laughs) Um, And I, so yeah, I think, um, to get back to the question about sentencing, I think 
I don't know. I have a lot of feelings about it, and I've never sat down and thought a lot of, about it in depth, but I think it's about how you define sentencing and how you define the, like, your... I think that you can define your story regardless of, like, the sentence that you have. And I think I don't... I don't know if it, like, ever ends in... But it's just about the way you look at it. Like, I still feel like my time incarcerated is still very much a part of my life. But it's a part of my life in such a different way. Like, a powerful... Yeah. So... On our show, we've talked um, a lot about lived experience and how much we want to value that. Yeah. And so when you think about um, incarceration and time being something to hide, um, which I understand why that is. It's for lots of different reasons, sometimes just for safety. Um, here, it's something we want to highlight. Yeah. And um, I really appreciate sort of even your process right now, kind of considering that question about sentencing and kind of how do you incorporate um, who you are now, the work that you're doing now, and what does that mean from, you know, a previous sentence? Do you feel like working with Beyond These Walls, is that work a part of your sentence? Well, how do you mean? Because um, I I don't know. I, I think... Um, for me, it's part of a desire to give back um, and to make sure that um, folks who are currently inside in these systems know that there are people who like did well and like dis and not because of the systems, but like in spite of them. Um, because that is something that happens a lot. Um, I think I hear a lot about like, like when I went back, to, started going back to McLaren, for instance, um, people in leadership at within the Oregon Youth Authority were like, oh, look at Carly. She's so successful. Like, you know, we, you know, she's rehabilitated. She did all the stuff. And I was like, no, bitch, I did this on my own. Yeah. And, like, no. like. No. Don't turn don't me into, to... yeah, don't turn me into a story, like, to make yourself seem better. Like, you were horrible to me. Like, you treat queer people like shit. And you treat people in general like shit. And, de like, adult prisons are the same way. Like, you yeah. treat people like shit. And so when people are successful, and I think anybody can be successful, it's about what success looks like. I don't know if I'd call it part of my sentence, but it's, there is a drive that, like, now to do this work for people who are incarcerated. Um, somebody one time, unrelated to prison work, but um, somebody one time had asked me, we were doing some trans-related stuff with school bathrooms, and somebody was like, why do you, like, why do you want to do this work? Like, why are you, why do you care so much? And, like, why are you telling your story? And it's the same thing that I remind myself of when I think about doing prison work and how, because the, there's still times where I'm like, I don't want to do this anymore. Like, this is really hard and I don't want to think about this. <laughs> um, but I do it because then one day the world will just be better. Like, we put our story, no matter what it is, right? In whatever context, we put our, our lives and our stories and our history on the line and share it with the world so that one day people that come after us won't have to, that it'll just be the way it is. Like we, um, for instance, do a lot of work within prisons, um, which we do get some flack for, um, especially from abolitionist organizations, which I personally am 100% an abolitionist, but I also think about people who are currently incarcerated, who are suffering. And I'm like, I want to make life for them. I don't want to make prisons better. I don't want them to, prisons to be like, oh my God, look how inclusive we are and we're so amazing and like we treat trans prisoners great. Like, well, no, you're still a prison and you're, you're still shitty in general, but I want to make life for queer prisoners and prisoners in general better because they deserve it. And so I think somebody asked me once if I thought that like the work that I do is like 
penance for my crime. Mm -hmm. And I was like, no, it's me choosing to take the narrative and do this work because it's work that has to be done and it's people are suffering. And it's like it's it's related to my crime, but like unrelated at the same time. Like I feel like what calls me to it, the passion that drives me is because I have lived experience. Yeah. But I feel like if I had knowledge of the way that if I had the same knowledge I have but got it a different way, if that makes sense. Like yeah. if I got the knowledge of that I have from like just reading books and learning and talking to other people who are incarcerated, I'd have the same passion and I'd be I'd want to do the same work. It may have I may have gotten there faster because right. I wouldn't have had the shame that I had. Um but I think yeah, somebody had asked me that once and I was like, no. At first I was like Oh, fuck yeah probably yeah, I don't yeah, yeah maybe cool yeah but I was like no I, I think I would be doing the work um still I wouldn't maybe dig in as deep as I have and I wouldn't have like a complex about wanting to do all the work all the time because I know personally how shitty it is but um yeah so I don't know yeah that makes sense cool what would you say to people who have never ever in their ever life thought they're mm. Queer people, trans people, LGBTQ spectrum individuals in the criminal justice system. Like, what would you say to those people? Who this is like a new concept. They've never even thought about it. Um, well, I have an internal monologue about that. And then they have an, like an external what I actually say to people. Um, my internal monologue is like, fucking think about queer people who are incarcerated like it happens right um that's actually but it's actually a question that i get a lot mm -hmm. is like this whole i didn't even think about queer people incarcerated like oh my god i had no idea and part of that is i don't want to be a conspiracy theorist but i think there is a part of that that is um strategic mm -hmm. uh there are organizations like in our push to like make lives better for queer people like in our push to like have access to housing and healthcare and marriage and all of these things there has been somewhat of a strategic move to like not focus on in queer incarceration because and in like this work is messy and it's not pretty and there's a belief that like, oh, if you have this type of crime, your crime, you're a horrible person, or just that all people who are incarcerated deserve to be there, like which is so stupid. But um, it's something that like the average person, when they tell me, when they ask me about it, and like, say I never thought about it, we have a discussion. Like, let's have a discussion. Let's talk about the fact that like queer people make up like. What so like at three in ten people identify as LGBTQ, but like four point eight percent of people incarcerated are like identify as LGBTQ. Like the numbers are there, yeah. right? Like so, um, and when you like add like race onto that and like all of that, like it, we're here. Like we we get incarcerated, especially the way crimes like policing of crimes hap like work is um you know it's something that people don't think about and we have to right like we have to think about folks and like I had a discussion about because somebody asked me well why like well because it was like a question about like well they probably deserve it and I'm like do they we were talking about like a specific person like I had like talked to them and they were like um well, I think that person probably deserved it. And I was like, or they're in there for a sex crime because they were doing sex work because they had to survive. And now they're charged as a sex offender and will like have that follow them for the rest of their life. Like we don't think about the nuance of crime and people also just like don't think about 
like they don't want to think about incarceration. They don't want to think about prison because it's messy and it's easier to just sit in a box where you're like, people in prison are criminals. They're mm-hmm. horrible people. Like they deserve to be there. Mm-hmm. Um, Bad people go to prison and yeah. good people don't. And mm-hmm. so it's something that like I will discuss very nicely with folks while internally like screaming <laughs> at them to like wake the fuck up. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I mean, what what you're talking about is is so important because we've talked a lot on this podcast about the intersects of um, race and the intersects of intersect of uh, low income communities in in whatever the criminal justice system means. But when we talk about the LGBTQ plus community, there are so many points of intersecting with high risk um, community or communities that are at higher risk of being incarcerated. Yeah. And so what I heard you say in those in those figures that you talked about is really here's this population in the community that's overrepresented in the criminal justice mm-hmm. system. How do you think LGBTQ plus individuals are impacted differently in the criminal justice system? I think queer folks, um, and I say queer to like an easier, as an easier way to like say LGBTQ, um, but I think queer folks are often more likely to commit survival crimes, right? Like, so they're more likely, and because or like quality of life crimes, like loitering and like graffiti. And like, I saw somebody pulled off a bus the other day for not having a ticket because they were clearly like, I had, and I happened to know they were queer because I know them. Um, but they, I also like, spoiler alert, didn't have a ticket because sometimes I get on the bus and I'm like, I'm not going to pay you. I'm going four stops. Like, I'm not going to pay you. Um, I didn't get pulled off the bus because, or I got a warning. They talked to me too. I got a warning because I look like a respectable, like, law-abiding citizen. Uh, little do they know. Um, but Joke's on you. Yeah. <laughs> but this person who, like, was, like, looked like what somebody might stereotype as a homeless person mm. um, got pulled off and got a ticket and, like, the police were called and I was I stood there the whole time I'm like what the fuck are you doing and I like I very much know that like I have that privilege of like being able to stand and like do that because last time I checked I don't have any warrants so I'm like not afraid of police anymore um but like I think queer people are more likely to interface with police and then like end up incarcerated and then their their lives are different like it's for instance like i think it's like 37 percent of trans people who were on hormones for instance before getting like legal i say legally meaning like they didn't get them from like back channels um they were like prescribed Mm -hmm. hormones um like 37 percent of people who have a medical like prescription for homo- hormones are denied hormones when when they go into prison, um, and so I think it starts at like queer people, much like like other marginalized communities, like people of color and um, folks like that are more likely to interface. Well, it starts at like more likely to have to commit survival crimes like sex work or. Um, stealing because they're fucking hungry and um, like poverty crimes yeah like uh, yeah Um, and so they're more likely to have to to commit those crimes and then are more likely to go through the criminal justice like go through the system be arrested be arrested and and all of that because because of harsher sentencing yeah bias and it is so amazing to me by the way how like the little, like those, like petty crimes or whatever, like loitering and all of those things. How much discretion police officers have? It's ridiculous. Like, cause, and that's something that I hear a lot from folks. It's like, what's well, like if they weren't doing something wrong, they wouldn't they wouldn't get arrested. I'm like, well, first let's talk about what wrong is, and because like, if someone commits, like. A crime, like if someone steals from a grocery store because they haven't eaten in two days and are just fucking hungry, 
I don't look at that as doing something wrong. I look at that as trying to feed yourself and like live, survive. Um, but then if you look if you are a person of color or you look visibly queer, then bias, like you said, bias comes in to play and then you can you can get arrested for this for something that like the same person if like a white middle class, you know, cis man did the same thing, they'd be like, okay, don't do that. And then like go on about their day. Um, so I think it starts there and then yeah, they're more likely to get harsher sentences and then be treated way worse in like in incarceration um and then yeah even after you get out like even after release they're like then you're back in a system that like you're back in a world where like you're exactly where you were before but now you have a record where now it's even harder to get a job or like get a place to live or you know and provide for yourself i was wondering uh Earlier, when you were talking about working with trans women who are incarcerated, our Trans Leadership Academy—that's what we call it—and it's a super cool. Name. I love. We're it. really excited about it. It's so cool. Um, <coughs> can you talk about a little bit about? Well, I mean, first we can just say, like, in general, uh, we're living in a lot of misogyny, but um, specifically inside of prisons and jails, um, that masculinity is valued and that's mm-hmm. sort of the norm or the expectation or um, as far as gender goes. Can you talk a little bit about how gender identity kind of plays into how that is played out in a prison environment? Yeah. Um, well, first it has to be stated that like there are trans women who are still living in men's, are still housed in men's facilities. Um, that like is the norm. Um and there are trans men who are housed in female facilities. That is the norm. Um, and I think there's a lot of discrimination um, around uh, from staff and other inmates um, that trans people face. In fact, um, there's a statistic that, like, it's something like one in five trans women have who, who have been incarcerated reported being sexually assaulted at least once mm. by prison staff. Mm. Um, one in five. One in five. Um, and by prison staff. Yeah. Um, and like, it's like... I don't want to get these numbers wrong. I hate giving statistics because I, like, if I fuck it up, then I'm going to get called on it later. (laughs) Um, But, like, 42.7% of all statistics are made up, so, like, whatever. (laughs) Um, But, and it's, like, um, it's, like, it's also weird. The statistic, I don't remember exactly what the number is, but the statistic of trans women who have been either sexually or physically assaulted by staff is actually higher. This was a shock to us when we when we heard about this, is actually higher than like physical or sexual assault by other inmates. Um which I I mean, I've seen Oz, so like I'm you know, I guess I'm not so surprised. But um no, it's it was a weird it was a weird kind of because I think that's the other thing is like people just assume that like prison staff are well-meaning people and maybe they are in the sense of like a lot of people are well-meaning people um I have my own like personal views on like the people who decide to work in prisons um probably rooted in like racism and misogyny and like just being a horrible person but maybe not um that's just one person's (laughs) opinion um but I think yeah, they're they're more likely to be sexually assaulted, physically assaulted, um, and that is they're also like the trans women that I talk to are also more likely to let it happen, not because they want it to happen, obviously, but out of necessity and out of survival, which is just bullshit. Like there are trans women who are allowing sexual assault to happen because it makes their life easier. Um, And... And, like, 
when I hear you say that, I think to not or to have sexual assault happening to you and that's your safest option in that moment, right? Yeah. Like, like, let's break that down. That's your safest option is to not talk about what that means yeah. and that experience. I mean, what? What? Yeah. It's, um, yeah, it's literally the worst thing, right? Like, to rather let sexual assault happen. And what than, does let mean, right? Like, yeah. do you even have any options? Right. Like, like, and that's your safest option. Yeah, because there, like, I, I spoke with a trans woman who, um, was sexually assaulted uh, multiple times, um, and they, quote unquote, let it happen because they knew that if they fought back, there was a really good chance that they were going to get murdered and if that didn't happen that if they reported it it would go unanswered um and there are the the really ugly side of the way especially in Oregon um this stuff happens is um Two trans prisoners earlier this year committed suicide, um, and another person and another one tried, um, like attempted, and luckily their life was saved. Um, which I'm just gonna say this; it's a really shitty thing to say, but like I know f- someone who was close to them. We were having a conversation about it, and um, it's almost like. A friend, this person who's a friend of theirs, the person who attempted suicide, was like, you almost wish that it had happened mm. because their life, like, like mm. would have been, like, that would have been better off. Like, not even, like... And that's a that, choice, like, to make, to be able to make, ha- be empowered yeah, to make a decision. Like, but, like, death would have been an easier option. Mm. Um, and, in fact, one of the um, people who actually committed suicide... Um, did so in a particularly brutal fashion, which I'm not going to go into, um, because they were transferred from a facility like in like I think Eastern Oregon um, to the Valley um, to Oregon's. I think they were transferred to Oregon State Penitentiary. Don't quote me. Um, and like were threatened with like a transfer back to that facility and committed suicide because they like, weren't going to survive. They knew that they just couldn't deal with the abuse that they were dealing with. We also have trans people, queer people, and specifically trans people who are transferring to the Oregon State Penitentiary, who want to transfer to the Oregon State Penitentiary to to have access to better um, resources. And I'm just like, if someone wants to transfer to Oregon's only supermax prison because it's better than the facility they're at now something has to change something has to change like i was going to say that um the penitentiary is really old and um not inviting i mean not that prisons are inviting but it's not modern yeah um and there's a lot of like long history about what that has represented in this state so the desire to go to OSP yeah. really says something about our system it says something about resources accessibility just a lot of things yeah. like the, the idea that like I want to go to um the pen in Salem like please take me there really says something about our system yeah yeah so i think that's sort of a snapshot like i think those are the things and to like also for trans people to like make a like to have to make a decision on like because we have folks who have come out while incarcerated like um but to make a decision which is already a difficult decision to make on whether to like live your truth um and it's a decision that like we like trans people all have to make at some point to be like do I live authentically and like subject myself to discrimination and violence. Um, and violence or do I like stay in stay in the closet and like like live as this gender that isn't right for me um but to couple that on with 
doing that while you're incarcerated and knowing that your chances of being assaulted go up, like, is just crazy. And I also just want to give a shout out to queer people who are living their authentic lives in prison because those people are fucking bold. Heroes. Like, they're heroes. They are brave. And, um... Also super adorable because they like they like (laughs) will like make their own makeup and like do their own things and like it's the most adorable thing also um and like half of the um group at uh OSP at Oregon State Penitentiary our Trans Leadership Academy is just trans women like and some of them are like in their seventies like it's the sweetest thing and half of it is just like discussing like hormones and surgery and like what kinds of makeup like one of the biggest asks like I have a friend who is a Mac makeup artist and one of the biggest asks was can we have someone who like does makeup come in and like show us some makeup tips and I'm like uh yeah of course like let's get that let's get that worked on um it's also really great in that um there are two trans people I'm just going to share this story really quickly to show also about the resiliency and, like, love for, like, that trans people still have, like, incarcerated. There is, there are two trans women who are in our group who years ago, and it was, like, 10 or 20 years ago, they were, it. one of them had just gotten to OSP, and the other trans woman had, like, saved their lives. And then they never were able to see each other until this group like 20 years later or something oh my gosh. and they saw each other and this this woman was just like thank you like you saved my life you have no idea i've been waiting this long to tell you that and i'm like stop it i'm already like oh my god i know like i'm like stop like i was like and i tell these stories and people are like that can't be true i'm like no it totally is like that's just the lives that people like people in general in prison are living like they seem like out of a movie, like, but it's real life. Like there are like people who are kept away from each other and get to like come together in a group and like have this heartwarming moment where they're like, thank you for saving my life. Um, And so those are the stories that like we try to hold on to because we're like, oh yeah, let's remind people that Queer folks are also fucking resilient. One of the things I love about um, your organization is is this concept and, and true value in creating community, and that community mm-hmm. doesn't have to is not defined by um, where you fit in the community and where yeah. how you can access the community. And so um, that's kind of what I what I heard from that story is that people are creating community in and out of prison yeah. and beyond the prison walls there's there's a community for people absolutely um our core value is a belief in community without conditions like we meet people where they are and we provide community because we literally are all better than the worst thing we've ever done right like we've all done something in our lives whatever it is that we're not proud of and we're better than that and it's something that we have to remind ourselves of and it is amazing to see people building community. And we also want to provide that for them, but also not in a way that like we're forcing our belief, like our, what we think community should look like. Mm-hmm. Like we're letting folks build their own community, building their own relationships, which is a big part of what our pen pal program is is like we're connecting people on the inside with free world volunteers who can build relationships and I when I first started at Beyond These Walls I had the privilege of like reading those letters some of those letters because some people like some of our free world volunteers would choose to like use our like our P.O. box um, for whatever reason Um, and so what I would do is like if that, like, when a letter would come and I'd, like, scan it, um, like, I would just, like, read over it briefly and then, like, scan it physically, like, scan it into the computer and then, like, email it out. And it was a, 
at first I felt really uncomfortable doing that because I'm like, I'm invading on like someone else's like private conversation. But it was also a really cool snapshot into like the lives that folks live and what people are choosing to share with like what two people are choosing to share with each other. And it goes to like when we do like when the question that we get a lot from our free world volunteers is like, what do I say to folks? There's like this hang up about like, what do I talk about? Like, I don't, you know, do I tell them about my trip that I'm planning to Hawaii? Like that seems, you know, not appropriate. I'm like, tell them about your fucking trip to Hawaii. Like, that's a cool thing. That's what they want to hear about. They don't want to talk about prison stuff necessarily. They don't want to be reminded of this, like, thing that's going on. Like, talk to them like a human being. Like, we're, they're human beings. Talk to them like that. Like, talk to them the same way that you would talk to me. Um, And that's something that we, like, battle with a lot is, like, this wanting to treat folks who are incarcerated with kid gloves Mm, mm -hmm. and it's like they're human beings who deserve community like they can't handle yeah information from the outside don't know that they're incarcerated yeah (laughs) right (laughs) it's like you're not gonna cause them to spiral out of control because you told them that you're excited about going to hawaii sure they're probably they would probably love to go to hawaii too and they're probably really happy for you Mm -hmm. um like i think first of all i'm like just Get over yourself. Yeah. <laughs> like, Your life is not so important yeah. that incarcerated folks can't, like, handle you. Right. What we have found is, which is why our pen pal program continues to be the bulk of the work that we do, is, like, it's something like, it's, like, two-thirds, like, 67% of the people in our network weren't out before mm. before getting locked up and so they had no access to community to talk about like what is it like to be a queer person like what is it like to explore gender like what is it you know what does this look like and um to have that access is like phenomenal and to see the the true relationships that are being built um through the mail is fantastic i also am always shocked at um the turnaround time there is like a decent turnaround time um and it's also like a continued thing that we do because we also know that like it's a like providing this pen pal service in these communities is like providing folks with an opportunity for community is like sort of a two-piece thing. It's like, one, we're providing community and we're providing, like, we want to build these relationships. And also, it's a visibility thing. Like, it is absolutely like a, oh, you're an incarcerated queer person. You're, you may be forgotten. It's when you get a letter in the mail as an incarcerated person, just in general, that's, that shows other inmates and prison staff that there is someone on the outside who's watching and cares about this person. And so it's, there are, I've heard from multiple people that are like, rates of like, they're like, I'm discriminated a lot less since I got a pen pal. There's like accountability. Yeah, there's accountability. Yeah, it's like a, it's a, hey, people are watching. Like, this person is not forgotten. Like, and so you are accountable to, like, the way you treat people because Mama Bear will, like, no, will I'll, fuck I'll, you I'll up. You. Like, I'm like, don't think that I can't figure out where you are and, like, attack you in some <laughs> verbal way where you, like... Don't make me find your Instagram handle because yeah, I will... Yeah, because I will destroy you. <laughs> Um, no, but I, that's the other thing is I then feel like it's also really great. It's been great for me because I feel I become really attached to these folks and I tell their, cause I share their stories so often that I become very attached to them. And I have like, I started working for Beyond These Walls with one pen pal, uh, because Tristan forced me. I always say forced. It was a great like thing. I was like, Tristan was, I always say that they were very, strategic in getting me involved because they were like why don't you just come to a holiday card project and like like, do this i'm like like, sure (laughs) i'll write a card like whatever and then i got a response and i was like interesting i was like hey this person has had some trouble like finding someone to write to them consistently like do you want to 
write them and I was like, sure, they seem really interesting, like awesome. Like, Let me like, get my gel pen out. Yeah, oh like I guess. Um, <laughs> and now there are like five people that I write relatively often um, because I'm just like, they're so cool. And the things that, so going back to like the com- community and like giving people an opportunity to share their life, there's a woman. Her name is Abby. She's a trans woman. She's fantastic. Um, she's, um, it's, I also like get to learn about things that I didn't know before. Like for instance, with Abby, she wants to, when she gets out, which is in like five years, maybe four years now, um, she wants to be a fisherman, a fisher person, uh, in Alaska. So Mm. what she asked of me is that we get her information on like, fishing licenses like how to get a fishing license in Alaska and like how to like Craigslist ads for boats and and we were just like you know that those like Craigslist ads won't still be available like those boats won't still be available when you get out in four years and she's like yeah I know but like I just want to get an idea of like what I'm looking at and like okay here's some information like that's the kind of stuff like like people are like People think that it's, like, some dramatic, like, oh, my God, you're so bold for, like, writing to prisons. I'm, like, I'm literally Googling Like, Alaska fishing. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Like, which is super cool because now I feel like if I was on Jeopardy and there was a question about fishing in Alaska, I'd win. Exactly. I'm prepared. Anyways, (laughs) yeah. So those are the kinds of things that I didn't didn't realize I'd experience. But – And, like, the – the diversity and the variance that you're getting because I think what people forget, uh, maybe people listening now, <coughs> is that these are just people that are yeah. incarcerated, right? Like there's not – I mean there's – I've always said there's a few choices between me and someone who is incarcerated. Um, and that doesn't mean that there's really a choice. Um, sometimes it means that's between a really hard choice and an even harder choice yeah. when you think about crime and just – how you survive in the world but there's not a lot that separates us as people agreed and so um, when you talk about something may seem as basic as like planning your you know career or job or kind of researching something it's just because it's a person it's Mm -hmm. just a person in the world who's interested in something and is trying to make a plan and it doesn't matter if it's four days from now or four years from now it's just a person right and then like four years that's like we Right, we all we all plan stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Like four years is also a college degree. Like that takes planning. Like we're all just like, yeah, out here living our lives, like doing the best we can. And I think that's the biggest takeaway for folks is like, and it goes back to like the question about like people who have never thought about queer people who are incarcerated. Like this is what we deal with on a day to day basis. Like this is just human beings who have lives and experiences and like trauma and also like really cool shit that like goes on in their lives like we celebrate birthdays and like we celebrate like big milestones like you know like um i just wrote someone who like just turned 62 and they were like i didn't think i'd live past 30 so 62 is huge and also like was really excited that like their grandson had like turned 10 and like we're just celebrating things we're like living life life, life, and like enjoying things and holding hands through the sorrow like like everyone else like we all do it right we all treat people like that and so we yeah they're not any different like and lord knows i have been in places in my adult life since being like released that i'm still like is this the time where I go back to jail? Because I'm having a really difficult decision, like that I have to face. It's like we all we all get to that point, mm-hmm. um, and it's yeah, it is about like choices that we make. Anyways, if people um, listening or um, people connected to Cage Nation, if they were interested in being involved with Beyond These Walls, mm-hmm. what would they do? There's so many ways to get involved. Um, mm-hmm. They can reach out to me directly. I have an email. Um, it's Carly, which I spell my name C-A-R-L-E-E. Super exactly how it sounds, Carly, um, at beyondthesewallslgbt.org. 
um, they can reach out to me. They can follow us on Facebook. Um, our Facebook is oh god, I should I can, know this. I'll link all this stuff. Down. Cool. Yeah. It's like Beyond These Walls. I think if you just Google or if you just Facebook Beyond These Walls, um, it should pop up. Um, there might be multiple things that pop up, but yeah. uh, our picture is like a cool drawing of like I've seen folks. It. Yeah, it's, it's really super cool. cool. It's super. Also, you have a great website. also yeah. artwork that was done by someone who's incarcerated. Oh wow. Um, and yeah, um, there's or just write us. Like yeah, reach out. During, I promise I'll reach back. <laughs> During uh, holiday time. Um, is that a time where you're writing more or trying to generate more energy around cards, letters? Yeah. Um, we have what is called the Holiday Card Project, and it is a behemoth of a project. Um, we are actually, we just had a planning session about it today. Um, so we have about just under 300 uh, people who are currently incarcerated in our network. Um, and that's, um, we primarily do work in the Pacific Northwest, so Washington, Oregon. We also, uh, do work with trans prisoners nationally. Um, and we have some people who are, like, grandparented in, like, who have been with us since the beginning that we, like, obviously still write to. Um, but we want to make sure that every person in our network gets at least one holiday card um because we all know that holidays can be really hard for everyone like they're just a brutal time sometimes for everyone um like i have like seasonal depression where it's like i mean which is managed somewhat by the fact that i fucking love christmas and so i'm like real into that but like Holidays are a really hard time, so we want to make sure that everyone gets at least one card. Last year and this year, we've actually made it really easy to, like, because we host a holiday card party where we, like, meet and have folks from the community come and, like, we provide, like, snacks and, like, cards and, like, names of folks. Um, last year, we launched this, like, program, and we're going to do it this year, and we're really excited. Um, it's, like, you get to host your own holiday card project mm. where... If you sign up, you can sign up for, like, 5, 10, 15, or, like, 20 names. And then we'll send you a packet with all of the information on, like, how to host a holiday card project. Oh, cool. It's like like an Avon situation. Yeah. I love um, it. It's, like, a fun – yeah, it's, like, a fun way to, like, get your friends together. It's also a great way to, like, reach folks in, like, rural towns Mm -hmm. who, like, care about these fucking issues um, to, like, reach – to, like, get engaged. Um. We do all the work. We'll, like, put a packet together with names, cards, envelopes, stamps, um, a really great, like, how-to on how to address envelopes um, because it is tricky, like, especially if you're writing to a trans prisoner. You have to, like, put their legal name and, like, but you can, like, use their chosen name in the in the card. Anyways. And so, yeah, we're really excited to, like, do that on a bigger scale. It worked really well last year. Uh, we were actually really shocked that it worked so well because it was literally like a, let's put this together and like why not see what happens, see if people would want to do it. And then it got to a point where we were like duplicating lists and we're like, I guess people will get four cards That's this so cool. year because so many people signed up um, because Amazing. it's something that they can do super easy. Why are LGBTQ plus individuals not only important, but critical members of our community, both big and small communities? Um, be- because we're human beings and we are deserving of that. Um, we're also experience. I don't want to pit anybody's experience against another community's experience, but um, queer people, like a lot of marginalized communities, experience a lot of hate and a lot of trauma and a lot of shit that they shouldn't have to experience. Um, And I think we need to remember that, like, queer people exist. They, we are vibrant members of 
the communities that we are a part of. We are loud and um, sometimes too loud. Uh, I get called out for being really loud all the time, and I'm like, uh, mind your business. Um, <laughs> Calm down. <laughs> yeah. You're just jealous. Um, <laughs> but that, like, we exist, and we... We deserve the same things that people who are not part of this community deserve, cis, straight folks deserve. Um, And we, just like people of color, deserve the same things that white people deserve. Um, And we are often so overlooked. Um, And... So yeah, we just it's because we matter and we're some of the most targeted people especially in um especially in prison. We just have to pay attention. We have to treat them. We have to treat treat us like you would treat anyone else. Like um I don't know. I have a lot of thoughts and feelings about it. Um but I guess that's what I would say because we matter. Like and we deserve to be like treated the same and it's um we for instance like like I said earlier like it's critical because we have trans people committing suicide like because of the facility that they are in or and schools count as part of that yeah, yeah 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 um we have um we have we queer people in general are committing suicide and being murdered in general like like in and outside of like the prison systems mm-hmm. like um and we can't afford to lose any more lives right yeah. so is there anything that we haven't talked about that we should be talking about uh oh that's such a i mean probably yes um but no i think i think we all I think we touched on a lot of, like, really important, cool things. Yeah. I think the takeaway for me in something that I always want, and we talked about this, is to remind folks that, like, people who are incarcerated are human beings who are deserving of, like, love and respect and community and all of those things Um, because they are people. We just, like, so often, like, and we get it with volunteers, too, who are, like, for instance, we have people who will be like, okay, well, I want to be a pen pal, but, like, I don't want to write, like, anyone with sex crimes or, like, They or put, murders. like, a condition on it. Yeah, which, in a way, I can understand where some people are coming from. Like, I have, I have a friend who is a pen pal and was very specific of, like, I'm a survivor of childhood sexual assault. I would prefer to not write someone who has committed... A sex crime against a child and I'm like super fucking valid I yeah. want to honor your trauma I also like but the thing is is like we don't in the like 300 people that we have like 300 like under 300 people that we have in our network I know the crimes of like maybe 20 of them because I just don't learn them because of the way I'm Implicit bio work. Like, I would, I know that I would probably have some bias and I don't want that. Um, And also, it's not relevant. It's not. It's like none of the, like, it is so rare that I, like, have to. The only time that I, like, learn that kind of stuff, like, I would, like, research that is if someone specifically came to me and was like, I have this and it's a piece of trauma for me. Like, I would prefer not to do this. And I'm like, okay. Because in general, when people are like, I want to be a pen pal, but I don't want to write, like, people with sex crimes or, like, murderers, I'm just like, okay, cool, we'll get back to you. And then I never talk to them again. Yeah, which is like, you're not ready. Which is a horror. <laughs> like, some people are like, that's horrible. You should connect with people. I'm like, but those aren't the people that I want because you're not, because you're not there. You're not ready. Mm-hmm. Like, you're not at that's a Because that's the first thing on your mind. Yeah. That you're like, I don't, these are the reasons I'm not going to engage with yeah. this community. Um, that's a problem. Yeah. It's like, because they're people, like... Like, yeah. And the the crime that people are charged with is often very different than the situation that happened. Exactly. And um, I think very specifically, I, I was working with a young man who had a, a robbery charge, right? He stole a candy bar um, out of 
out of a convenience store because he was homeless. Um, and the security guy grabbed his arm and he pulled his arm away and got this like humongous charge. And so when we think about, and this is for the listeners, when we think about what people are quote unquote charged with, like you said, Carly, it's a very nuanced, there's a lot that goes into that mm-hmm. that really doesn't apply to where people Absolutely. and what happened. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Or like, yeah. Or like the way, for instance, that like sex crimes are charged. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. It's like, or like, yeah, robbery. Like there are so many, I mean, I can get Spend Whole a day talking, yeah, one. right. On like, we'll start another show just <laughs> on that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but like, yeah. So I, because like, when you go to like the Oregon Department of Corrections website, for instance, and like look someone up to like, it'll say like their crime, and it's just just like a broad. But then like, I'm like, well, one, I'm I'm not a lawyer. I don't have time to like research all the like nuances of like what. What's a you theft could, one and yeah. a theft three? And I'm like, what like, does all that mean? I tried that one time with like certain crimes. I was like, I want to know the difference between like theft one and theft two and theft three. And like, I'm just like, mm, no, I don't. Yeah. <laughs> no, I don't. No. It's just like stupid. I don't want to. Yeah. I was like, this is too much. Um, but yeah. Anyways, yeah. People are people. They're, we're all human beings. We all deserve love and respect and community. That's what I would want people to take away. To our listeners, please check out Beyond These Walls. They have a website. They have a Facebook. Um, Carly, you are very responsive in email. Um, and if you you aren't ready to commit to a pen pal or you don't know how to get involved, look at the website. I mean, mm-hmm. I think the website is such a great inviting space yeah. and really um, touches on a lot of values that you've you've shared today. So I really appreciate your time. Yeah, um, yeah. and our website is beyondthesewallslgbt.org. We're an organization. I found that out. I was like, that's what .org means. Oh, Got you. Got it. Like an organization. Didn't get that. Noted. Well, yeah. thank you so much, Carly, for being here. I really thank appreciate you. your time. Thank you both for doing this work and, like, giving a voice to this issue. So, Happy holidays, everybody. Mm-hmm.